welcome to the first episode of the Shebang in it podcast. It's a podcast where we go behind the minds of the top business brains in the country and outside of it to really figure out what it is that is the shebang in it. What is it that makes them have the spark? What is it that drives them? What is it that gives them the thought clarity and therefore helps them create the shebang in it? For the first episode, I'm really privileged that we had the opportunity to interview Satyaki Ghosh. Uh, Satyaki Ghosh is the CEO of the Aditya Birla textiles business and he's also building out the Linen Club brand. Prior to his role at Aditya Birla Textiles, Satyaki was also leading the consumer products division at L'Oreal India. This podcast was particularly enjoyable because Satyaki goes a lot to talk about the other side. The power of listening and the power of really factoring in the opinion of the other side and how that can actually pivot business. He speaks with a lot of clarity. I really enjoyed interviewing him and listening to him while doing this podcast. I hope you do too. This is episode one. Satyaki Ghosh, thank you so much for spending your time thank and you. uh, helping lots of young people get inside the mind of what somebody well accomplished, somebody who's leading a large ship, you know, what goes on inside their mind. So I'm really excited to talk to you. And my first question actually to you is about, you know, you've been doing sales and marketing for some time and uh, often people look at marketing as a cost head. So what's really the value of marketing and when does marketing really work? You know, it's a, uh, it's a very, very good question. Uh, is uh, marketing a cost center? Uh, different companies, I think, look at it differently and different industries look at it differently. Typically, marketing is a much bigger function in a high gross margin product. In a low, low gross margin product where advertising cost comes below that, your advertising or any kind of marketing activity funds are always uh, lesser. These kind of companies think that marketing is a cost center. Could you just for the benefit of the viewers just explain what is the you know, what's the difference between a high gross margin product and a low gross margin? Yeah, so, and what, what kind of so, industries are we yeah, talking about? So, consumer product uh, industries uh, largely would be high gross margin products. It could be in uh, food, uh, biscuits, chips, uh, these kind of things. Uh, or it could be in personal care, uh, in shampoo, uh, soaps, uh, these kind of uh, industries. Uh, you would also see that a high gross margin business is consumer electronics. Uh, these are the places where uh, people really spend. It's also important for uh, new startups to do marketing, new startups or new brands to come into that mind space and position themselves. Uh, I think marketing for me is essential and is not a cost. More money you put in, uh, in marketing, uh, you get better results at the end of the day in the longer term. I'll give you some examples. As we are coming out of this pandemic, I know of consumer product companies which have stepped up marketing in June and July. People who have stepped up marketing in June and July are already seeing uptake in their uh, business. Versus companies which looked at it only as a cost center and uh, ruthlessly cut that cost, hmm. they are not getting that uptake. However, if you come to a lower gross margin product, for example, some of the B2B businesses, etc., where marketing is more like a cost and they have cut that, 
and they are most probably relying on more CRM, more discounts, more customer relationship hmm. to tide over this period. So why the difference? I mean, if you're saying that, you know, some of the high gross margin value products, they've been investing in June, July and they're seeing an uptake now. I mean, logic would say that maybe you invest in both and you'll see an uptake. So why does it work in one and not so much work in the other? No, it's also a question of affordability. When your gross margin is higher, which means the net sales price, less cost of goods. Hmm. If you have a good margin over there, then you have more of a play. Right. And then you can play there. Right. Typically, consumer goods have this because the influence, who you have to influence is public and general, hmm. which is consumers. Hmm. And you have to reach them in different parts of the country, different parts of the world, maybe. Uh, and you never know who they are and where they are. Hmm. So you need a lot of marketing monies. Got it. And because you have bigger margin, you can afford that. Got it. In a more B2B business, you're not going directly to the consumer. You are going to the business who goes to the consumer. Right. So here you are going to educated people, purchase managers, buyers, etc. Who may or may not get swayed by your marketing and brand image. Who are really brass tacks on your prices. There's negotiation. Hmm. So maybe you invest there and you get immediate results more. Right. So everybody is looking at immediate results. Somebody is looking at it through consumer marketing. Somebody is looking at it through customer marketing. Right. Which the youngsters, they may not be able to see. But those companies are still doing it. CRM is marketing. So uh, it's interesting these two terms you speak about. Consumer marketing and customer marketing. And uh, you know, I think you spoke about two, another very good point about how far you want to cast the net. Versus how narrow the net is. And if you want to go far, then you probably go consumer. And you want to go... Narrow, then to you a go specific customer. niche customer, then you go to those kind of customers. Then the set is smaller hmm. and you can influence them without big bang marketing. Right. You can go straight to them. But that is what uh, some of you guys are doing now digitally, right? You do not uh, blast the same message to everybody. Hmm. When we were growing up, uh, advertising on TV was the biggest thing, which now people say it's almost like uh, firing a machine gun. Hmm. You know, now the era is about sniper firing. So you really locate somebody digitally and you fire what he or she likes hmm. to them, right? So B2B marketing is a bit like that. You go to specific people and you do things that are specific to them. Their training programs, how do you influence them hmm. to think of you as a better supplier and sell the product? That's B2B. But classical marketing, when we say marketing, then we think consumer marketing and that leads a lot of money. Uh, only high margin products can afford to do that. Typically consumer products. So maybe for the benefit of the listeners also just a little bit, you know, because I think the customer marketing is the more glamorous part, the more the part that we often see. Consumer marketing. Sorry, the consumer marketing is the more glamorous part and the customer marketing is more, you know, not so much heard of. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you are running a business right now where you do a lot of customer marketing and are seeing lots of success. So can you talk us through a little bit about some of the things that you think are required to pivot a customer marketing strategy? Yeah, so the business uh, that I do right now is 60-40 on customer marketing and consumer marketing. Consumer part is smaller hmm. and uh, customer marketing is bigger, the current role. In the customer marketing part, like you asked, we go to businesses to sell. 
our products. So what we are trying to do is for each of our B2B businesses, we are setting up a digital portal. It's still digital because in this age, I think everything is about digital. So what we are telling our customers who we sell to, which are purchase managers, which are designers, which are, you know, buyers, etc. That once you place an order with me, once you float an inquiry with me, everything is digital between your team and my team and everything is transparent. So what we are building is transparency for them. So the moment they put in inquiry, where is the inquiry? Is the sampling happening or not? Has the sampling happened? Once the response comes in and then it converts into a Got it. pure inquiry, then order. And once they place the order on our company, where is it in the different stages of production? They have full visibility. And when is it ready? When is it packed? When it is shipped? We are also trying to do uh, vehicle uh, movement uh, follow-up and it will be attached to that portal. So as the vehicle is moving, let's say from my Gwalior factory to a customer in Bangalore, the customer can know that today it has crossed Indore mm. and today it has crossed Kolhapur. So they know how much time is there before it hits their warehouse. Right. So they can promise if they are the consumer marketing guys, they can do their consumer marketing, they can get ready that the product will be in my warehouse in two days. So the third day I can start advertising for it. Mm. Mm. You know, uh, so those are the kind of things that we are doing to keep our customers happy. And right. it is customer marketing. You don't see it. Right. That customer in my team sees it, but it's still digital and it's still marketing. Right. So for a young person entering this industry right now, you know, and they might like the customer marketing or the consumer marketing. What are some of the things that you think they should be watching out for? Uh, I know you speak a lot about this technology. What are some of the skill sets that you think are the key skill sets for a new workforce entering this industry? I think if they, if somebody really wants to enter consumer marketing, which is uh, much more uh, glamorous, uh, the skill sets required are consumer understanding. I think uh, learning a bit of research techniques helps. Uh, attending uh, research meetings helps could be uh, focus group discussions, it could be, uh, you know, uh, depth interviews, whatever. Have you but done a lot of research in your career? Yeah. And and what were some of the things that, you know, I mean, you you have a reputation as a very good listener. So what were some of the things that you, you know, you would do going into a research? Yeah, so the biggest thing, I think you spelt it out, Harshil. When you go to meet a consumer, your idea is only to observe and listen. So you take in as much sound bites as possible. You observe as many things in his or her personal space as possible. That mm. is allowed by that consumer. Which helps you to come back and analyze the data in your mind. Of course, somebody records it and somebody, you know, records the conversation. So you can come and listen to it five more times. But what you see there, how things are kept, when she gets up, what does she pick first? So uh, you should observe everything. Uh, so from a marketing consumer point of view, I think uh, what you need to learn, you can upskill yourself on research a little bit. I think uh, if you're coming into workforce now, digital is absolutely required. You have to understand. And most of the uh, youngsters today understand how social media works, etc., etc. But how to activate those those kind of courses? Lots of digital courses are available. 
I think whatever you are studying, you should do a little bit of digital courses on the side so that when you come in, you're prepared. I think, coming back to research, sorry, yeah. but you know, coming back to research, can I ask if there's been a particular, if you can recall any particular instance or an observation that you made which had a big impact on the way you marketed a product or the way you developed a product? I think um, uh, one example that we can uh, give is of uh, Maybelline Kajal uh, and uh, you know Maybelline as a brand in US and Western world uh, was always an eye specialist brand hmm. and they did a lot of mascaras. Maybelline is famous for its mascaras. When they went to Asia, it again clicked in Japan, in Thailand, in China where uh, you know the eyebrows are limited, uh, eyelashes are limited and a mascara worked on the eyelashes, it really made it big. When it came to India, it was just not working. We were not even doing what uh, a state in US does. We did a lot of consumer research and we figured that the Indian woman in any case has large lashes to the Indian woman because of 10,000 years of conditioning believes exactly how uh, oil works on hair and hair color may be not good for hair, chemicals go in. People think when you put mascara on your eyelashes, uh, eyelashes can fall, hmm. which is not true, hmm. but that is the belief. Uh, so we worked around So how that. do you get those beliefs? Like, I mean, do they tell you those beliefs? Or? Yeah, they talk about it. When mm. you go and ask questions that, uh, why don't you use this? Said I use uh, when I go out for a party, but normally I don't use because it's not required. It looks artificial. Mm. And you know, ultimately some eyelashes will fall because you're putting some chemical on your eyelashes. Mm. So when you do multiple of those, you figure out that this belief is in Bombay, okay. Then you figure out this belief is in Gujarat and Maharashtra also. Then you figure it's in North also, it's in South also, it's in Calcutta also, it's in Chennai also. So you figure that it's something that the country believes in. So you can't fight that. So hmm. you'll have to work around that. Hmm. We also figured when we went there that another big business for Maybelline was eyeliner. But eyeliner came on the top of your uh, eyelid. And uh, people said that when I go out, the youngsters use it, of course, more, but it's party, it's marriage, hmm. it's some occasion hmm. that when you festivals. But what do you wear every day? And they said kajal. And you figured kajal is not exactly eyeliner. They wear it on the waterline in the lower eyelid, inside the eyelid. And it had a little bit of camphor, which gave them the cooling effect, which they thought is great for the eye. Actually, it does nothing. But that's the belief. So we started work on a eye pencil, but it used to smudge because you take it from a bow, put it your finger and put it, so it smudged. Yeah. And that's so, what consumers also told you. Yeah, consumers said that it smudges, that's the only problem. So you really have to be careful and skillful. Yeah. So we figured a smudge proof kajal with a little bit of camphor and do good can change the game hmm. and that was the genesis of uh, Maybelline Kajal Pencil which created history. Today every other brand has it. Yeah, everybody then copied you. Yeah, everybody copied Maybelline actually. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that's the big success of that Maybelline yellow and black uh, Kajal. 
and, and if came I can from just consumers. bring it also to customer marketing, you know, like how you are saying this observation on the consumer marketing is about going there. When it comes to customer marketing, what is it that you're observing? Because I'm assuming the principle you would say yeah. would be kind of similar. So what are you observing? So there? one thing that uh, the sales team always tells you to believe that in customer marketing, especially in this pandemic era, uh, the buyers are looking for lower price. Hmm. To some extent, it's true. You always try to optimize your costs in the value chain. Uh, but it's not the only thing. When you go and meet a lot of customers and when you speak to them and really probe that what do they want? They want, of course, value for money. So they want some value. But they also want to look good in front of their organization. So they want to propose something to their management which they have innovated and they have improved in the product because you are an ingredient going into that product, right? right? You could be a large ingredient or a small ingredient. For example, a consumer product you can think of, uh, if you are a shampoo, uh, what fragrance you need is 0.01%. But that fragrance is important for the consumer. When she puts it on the hair, the fragrance that she gets, she decides whether it is good or bad. Hmm. So the fragrance supplier, when they come to a shampoo manufacturer, who's the consumer product, they're actually 0.01% of that shampoo or even lesser. But they're important. So if they can tweak that a little bit. So one is if the usage could be instead of 0 0.01, 0.009. Then the purchase manager wins because you give given a stronger, they can use less and the cost goes down. At the same time, efficacy doesn't go down. So their marketing team is happy and hence the boss is happy. Hmm. Okay, so those are the kind of things that you have to do. And you also have to see that how can you give your customer a uplift in his position. Hmm. That may not only be price, that could be great quality, that could be something else. For example, we are in textile business. I'm in textile business now. We quickly innovated on... Uh, uh, Everybody was doing antiviral, right? Antiviral, lots of con apparel companies advertised. Hmm. Actually, apparel companies don't do antiviral. The antiviral is done on fabric. So the fabric supplier actually does it. The garment manufacturer only stitches a shirt or a t-shirt with that and advertises to the consumer. Hmm. The science comes from the fabric guy, right? So we said that everybody is doing antiviral. Let us try something more ethnic. And we did a Nim Tulsi finish. And it's getting a lot of traction. Mm. Some of our customer brands are really picking up Neem Tulsi finished uh, fabric from us. So in a stage where men's apparel is not selling, we are in that segment and we are not being able to sell. One of the pivots have been innovation and listening to the purchase manager. They wanted something new and they mm. paid me a little premium for that also. So I have a question here, you know, in this particular, I think it's a little bit difficult if I'm, if I'm trying to visualize, because the guy is saying, I want something new. Whereas in the I case, you know, you had slightly more sharp that I, I want smudge proof and I'm using this particular no, product. No, actually the purchase manager is saying quite specific things. He's not only saying that I want something new. He's saying the consumers in our stores are looking for something safer. Hmm. So can I have a finish that is safer? Hmm. Then you look around what is available. And then you innovate from there and speak to him that, okay, there is a chemical antiviral finish that I can give you or there is a more natural finish. The natural finish will uh, 
cost you more mm. because the effort going into that is much more mm. is that okay so he was okay to give me that premium mm. because he could differentiate your fi- final product from a chemically finished antiviral to a more indian way of ethnic uh, got it cleansing you got know it. so the discussion with the purchase manager actually keeps going on you don't go speak to him and come and innovate actually with a purchase b2b business you're continuously working together you do something you do sampling he says no i want it a little bit like that so hmm. you keep working and your designers keep working with the apparel designers hmm. so the design and the r&d team they work hand in hand hmm. along with the sales and marketing team to create the proposition sales hmm. and marketing team creates the proposition and the commercials hmm. right but it's those r&d fellows and those designers that actually create the magic in the in a textile product hmm. but you work hand in hand all the time so this coming to the next question of you know i, I mean what i'm taking out from the skill one skill which you really spoke about is this listening skill uh to to be good in business the second skill that you talk about is relationships yep uh you know this other skill that is you've really touched upon it right now is getting people to work together and that's something you've been really good at to get people to work together especially when viewpoints are different so what is it that you do for that to get to get your various teams to work together i mean you have people right at the factory front and you deal with you know the most uh, fancy designers and you work across the value chain so when you're doing that how do you stitch all this together i think again uh, your listening skills uh, come in a bit here you have to hear what the designer is saying and what the factory line supervisor is saying and there are a lot of people in between two is i think you need to build uh, trust and trust come i believe comes from transparency hmm. so uh, in a matrix organization where people don't report to each other but they have to work together i think more common meetings that you do more this guy's problem you put to that guy and try to get a solution sorry this can you can you talk a little bit about this matrix organization and do you see more of that happening in the country today yes uh, maybe for the youngsters matrix organization you know the older organization was five people reporting to a boss there are five teams like that so these five bosses report to another boss and there are three teams like that and so it goes up vertically ultimately from a ceo it goes to five people maybe five people it goes to 5 into 5 25 people and 25 into 25 625 people that was the organization today the organization is no longer vertical today for example if you are a multinational marketing uh, manager you report to the ceo or general manager of your country you report to the marketing manager of your zone uh, which could be asia pacific if you are in india so you have a asia pacific your brand head who's your boss you have the country head who's your boss and there could be a global brand structure where somebody is running the brand globally and that could be your boss and these three guys do not report to each other and all three can have different points of view on a particular problem so as a marketing manager you need to align your zonal boss who could be asian uh, if you're in mumbai or delhi or bangalore uh, maybe your boss is indian and the global boss could be sitting somewhere in europe or us or whichever country that company comes from so you may have a european asian indian sitting in three different places all our bosses have different points of view but you have to take your together so this is the complexity of working in a matrix organization 
But the advantage is you have a global point of view from maybe a European or American. You have an Asian point of view from an Asian guy, Chinese or Singaporean. Uh, and you have an Indian point of view. And any of these positions can also be held by Indian, by the way. Hmm. Uh, but different points of view. So it makes your work richer. Got it. So you work on the top on this matrix organization. But when you do your project as a marketing manager, you work with R&D. They don't report to you. You work with supply chain because your packaging material, etc. might be coming from supply chain or outsourced material may be coming from supply you always have to talk to the sales team because they'll finally go and sell your product. Hmm. You have to talk to the advertising team because the product needs to be advertised. You have to talk to the research team. So you already see what is the complexity that you're handling. Hmm. None of them report so to you. In a way, isn't that good because is. people are not reporting to you. You have to put in that much more effort to make your argument seem intellectually convincing. Which it's actually good for better work. collaboration skills have to also go up. So a person who cannot talk to a different sets of people is may not be that successful in today's uh, corporate world anymore. Hmm. You have to connect at different uh, levels with different sorts of people and get your work done, especially if you're in marketing. And, and what do you do to, I mean, now, of course, you've kind of become a pro at understanding various viewpoints. But, you know, what do you do in a scenario when somebody's got a contrarian viewpoint or, or like what do you constantly do as a practice for yourself to to ensure that you're you know you're able to accept all these viewpoints and also in a lot of cases call out the bullshit you know because sometimes opening the gates means also nonsense can also come so you know how do you tackle that i think uh, everybody has to learn uh, their way through this you can only give some gyan but hmm. uh, i've also learned it the hard way Initially, when you uh, in your career, as you grow vertically, you get the next job and you get the next job because there are so many jobs available. So your promotions happen faster. You get new jobs. You start feeling that you're successful. You can. Hmm. And you can start having a strong point of view. So in a meeting, you start thinking that what others are thinking are not important. I have been successful thinking like this and this has to be the way forward. But as you mature, you figure that the others also have been successful in their own right. Hmm. And more actually you can listen or actually you can give them chance to talk is better. Then there is a skill set which is called getting your viewpoint aligned voluntarily. Which means maybe you need a best friend in the group. You make somebody else talk about your viewpoint. Then you have four viewpoints. You support the viewpoint that you want to, but you don't spell it out as the first person. So you build a consensus towards that. Hmm. Of course, your logic has to be strong. And finally, your idea has to be the strongest. And I think a huge skill set is sometimes to step back hmm. and say, my idea is not the best hmm. and your idea is better. And then go all out for it. Got it. One thing that I believed in life, Harshil, is that the discussion is till I'm on the table. Once a decision is taken, I get up, then you don't think it is his idea or my idea. Hmm. Then you go as a team and execute that idea, which is the final idea. Got right? it. Got it. So in execution, you have to be disciplined. In ideation, you have to be broad and then bring it closer. But once you have an idea, you go for it. I want to also ask you about, you know, a lot of young people today, is, it's almost become media hype that you got to start up. You know, and you chose early in your career. I mean, you built startups, you built businesses. 
but you said I'm going to attach myself to large corporates and I'm going to build businesses for them. So uh, the thing I want to ask you is why and why did that startup bug never bug you? Uh, and right now, what's your viewpoint? I mean, I don't think that it's very essential only to startups. So, you know, for nons, for people who want to go into large companies and steer large ships, what does somebody like you look at at the start of their career? And, you know, now that you're well into your career and you've reached a space of accomplishment, how do you look at those years back and kind of connect the dots? So many, many questions in that leading uh, question, actually, small, small ones. I think uh, why didn't I go for a startup is because when I was starting, which was 25 years ago, uh, startup bug was not a big bug. Uh, we were still coming out of the closed economy and just starting to become India as a country, an open economy. Opportunities were not that much for startups. If you started up, it was a really hard uh, way to go because money was not so easily available. Angel investors were not sitting everywhere to give you investment. Hmm. So really, when we were starting up, that dilemma was lower. Hmm. You built a career. Then I started in 1995. Okay, So it's a long time. A lot of the kids that we are talking to right now may not have been born. Yeah, in they're just born then. Maybe they're born. Actually, the the girl who is my EA right now, she's born in 1995. So the year I started working, she was born and today she is a rank holder, CA, uh, working for me. Uh, and now people that this podcast will go to, maybe are younger than her, hmm. right? So you don't remember those times. India started really growing between 98, 99, 2000. 95, India was still opening up. Rupee had become partially convertible, etc. So after 2000, 2002, etc., this startup thing started because the newer guys were coming in. People who were five, six years younger to us. And they were starting. And this really took off after the internet took off, actually. Let's say 2012-13, when it took off. Then getting information was easier, getting funding was easier. So today there's a dilemma. In my case, the dilemma was lesser. I was already six, seven years into my work life when all this started. Yeah. And maybe 10, 12 years in my work life when it became big, 2008, yeah. 9. So in my case, I think the choice was easier. Yeah. In their case, the choice is more difficult. So my advice to startups are that, of course, the startup people, will some of them will look at you how you started something, how you have started something else now and how it is getting scale. And they th must be thinking that uh, you are a very successful entrepreneur. But my point of view is that uh, for every successful entrepreneur, there are 10 people who did not succeed, who started with the same idea, did not succeed. So yeah. when you want to go into a startup career, you give yourself realistically, statistically, a 10% chance of success. And then it's your belief, your conviction, your idea, your discipline to take your idea forward in a good way. Mm. That brings that 10% to 15, then 20, then 50, then 70, and then you're successful, mm. right? So for every Paytm success, every Book My Show success, there will be so many unsuccessful uh, startups, right? So that amount of risk is there. Mm. When you attach yourself to a big ship, and you try to learn through that, that risk goes down. So I think it depends on the risk-taking appetite of the individual also. 
uh, as to uh, which career he chooses. I don't think there's a good or bad here. Uh, startup uh, can fail, 90% chance, I think. A startup can be a decent business. You can be your own boss. You don't have to hmm. depend on somebody else. Yeah. But I think when you work in a large corporation, uh, you get viewpoints from people who are 10 years, 15 years senior to you. You learn a lot of things naturally. Hmm. In a startup, everything you have to learn yourself. Right. And though you are the father of your idea and you drive and you don't have a boss and gives you a lot of freedom, etc., etc., uh, learning takes time. Hmm. Hmm. For example, I know how much, how many seminars you have attended to get the learning. Somebody, when you were growing her shield at your age, if they had joined a big organization, these would have been given to him or her on a platter. Hmm. Hmm. So, should you start a corporate career and after 7-8 years when you have the little sustainable money, uh, when you have learned the first basics of corporate life, then you start a startup, that's another option. Hmm. You don't start it from college hmm. because you get your best learnings. If you hmm. see at big business families, uh, their children go and work somewhere for 3 years, 4 years before they come back and start their own business. Hmm. I think that also comes from these kind of thoughts. Yeah. So I think there are pros and cons. I know what, you know one of the things that, that, that I also see, you know, particularly sometimes when I have the opportunity to speak to you and you say that I'm dealing with Thailand also. I'm dealing with the factory worker in Urissa also, uh, so yeah. on and so forth. So, you know, you're also dealing with such a large cross section of people across the value chain, which I don't think sometimes you get as a startup. Uh, and ultimately, it's about, you know, the tools of your life and what you want to make of it. So I think that's another very interesting point. Uh, and actually, I, that kind of brings me to my next question on, you know, your dealing with people. I know you answered the matrix answer across the value chain. And I want to just put a little more emphasis because I think sometimes a lot of us sitting in air-conditioned India, we don't understand what's happening, you know, at the, at the, at, at the factory front, for example. So I have two questions. I'll come to my second one about dealing with international markets. But my first one is about dealing with people at the factory front. Uh, you know, in this period of time, it's been obviously a difficult period of time for them. Uh, so what are some of the things that are there general about them that you can teach us? And second is that in this period, what are some of the things that you've seen in them which are Lord worthy? So, uh, the first thing that I want to uh, tell the youngsters who are listening to this is that don't remain in a bubble. If you are from a metro city, let's say uh, we are having this chat in Mumbai. Uh, if you are from Bandra or Pali Hill or Malabar Hills or some of these so-called privileged areas and you are trying to get into, start your own business, etc. Don't assume India is Bandra or India is Saket, or India is Jubilee Hills, hmm. or India is Park Street of Calcutta. That's not true. India is actually a completely different country. Hmm. So, I would uh, advise that when you uh, start your own thing, travel a lot. Hmm. And when you travel, you please meet people. Try to eat the local cuisine. Like Try to talk to that guy. Hmm. If you have a cutting chai on the street and speak to that fellow, you'll get a pulse of the society that is working there. Mm. It's important. If you want to lead big teams in life, everybody won't be like you. Mm. Actually, it is very unlikely that everybody would be like you. 
people will come from different facets. The mm. biggest example I would say is in our times is MS Dhoni. Mm. You know, where he came from, a uh, very humble background from a small town, uh, and how he has dealt with international media, uh, his teammates who came from very privileged. I think it's a great example. But I also think that Saurav Ganguly is also a very great example because he came from a very privileged background. And how he dealt with all his team members, all of whom did not come from a background like Saurav Ganguly and still got the respect, shows the width. Where Saurav Ganguly came from, where Dhoni came from is not similar. But what they achieved is very, very similar. Hmm. Because they understood the other side very well. So I think that is… Uh, that's critical. That's understanding critical. the other side. Yeah. Understanding the other side is critical. And it's a theme you speak about a lot, you know, in the boardroom also when you speak about the yeah. viewpoints, the matrix organization you speak about. and. This at the factory floor, you speak about a lot of yeah. understand the other side. No, I think lots of things are important. Actually, in the consumer, uh, also you speak about understand the other side. Yeah, I think uh, it's it's very important. Look at this pandemic. When the pandemic opened, when the factories had to be opened, there were containment zones all around. One of our factories opened on 29th April. Now, these are large factories. Five six thousand people work there. Wow. So. Uh, you know, 29th April, there were red zones, orange zones, green zones, containment zones. Uh, they said if one person has it inside the factory, the fear factor was much higher than sitting here in end October, early November. Uh, April end was scary, yeah. right? Uh, there was no public transport. But if factories have to start you must understand blue-collared workers and their white-collared bosses, line supervisor, engineer who becomes a line supervisor, a mechanical engineer, they come from top institutes also. But if you are the boiler in charge, you have to be near the boiler when it starts. You can't work from home to do that job. Yeah. If you are a line supervisor, you have to be on the line. So these people came back to work. Either they came on their own transport or they pulled in with a friend or a colleague and they came but what I can tell you is how the blue-collared workers came back to work is amazing. We of course did a lot of things, SOPs, you know, social distancing, the round, they came one by one, mask, we had these uh, hutments, uh, you know, uh, gates made through which the cars etc were washed as you came in, a number of things, sanitizers everywhere, the foot tap sanitizer which are now normal. April, it was not normal. It was innovation coming in, right? No yeah. touch sanitizers, yeah. etc. So we did all of that. But the guys came in and they worked and they said that if we don't work, if the factory output does not happen and if we can't sell, then factory won't last. My job won't last. Yeah. So that spirit was amazing. So yeah. what we did as senior management is whenever we could travel to the factories, we actually went on the shop floor. It's important for people to see that senior managers are also on the shop floor and we are not the only ones at risk. Of course, it has some risk. But you know, buying vegetable has some risks yeah. in this. So you take calculated risks, but you also try to go to the other side, which you may not be required to, yeah. to get their trust. Because if 6,000, your own workmen don't trust you and don't work in your factory, what will your... 300 salespeople do to sell hmm. and what will your 10-15 marketing people do, three advertising people to advertise, 
there is no product right so i think it's about uh, understanding a blue collar worker and his problems etc so we've supported a lot of people people who have had covid in their families themselves cannot afford we've done the full uh, covered the full expenses for them yeah. we've provided ambulance we've provided doctor services we've provided everything and we've really come out stronger i think today our workmen also look at the management after these 6 months to say that we care for each other i personally think our organizations union troubles will be much lower because all of them understand that management is not against them yeah. management is with them yeah. and i think it has been a very very good period for us in terms of our learning business yeah. has been tough but uh, learning has been immense so i have a lot of more questions to ask you but i know that you know we could keep going on and on so maybe once if this is successful then you know i'm i'll have the opportunity to invite you again yeah um, but i actually want to ask you this last question and there's actually there's so many more that i have but but you know this this last question i think you've been kind enough to share a lot of what goes on inside your mind but as an individual you know you what's very clear is that there's this inbuilt drive in you whether it's startup large ship you know as you're working across uh, geographies there's this inbuilt drive in you so you know when you wake up every morning uh, what is it that that makes it happen like what's your what's your purpose you know as you walk through this life and and how does it how does that contribute to you firing the ship i think the biggest thing uh, is self esteem i have always believed that when you go back to sleep you should think that today i have done something meaningful i have added some value in somebody's life and i have added something to myself any of these every day you don't add to yourself every day you don't add to somebody else's life but something should happen something should be a positive thing i think positive thinking is one and two is self esteem when you wake up in the morning you want to be better than yesterday hmm. also i believe that if you stop comparing yourself with others for example if i keep comparing myself with you who's a successful entrepreneur i can only keep feeling bad that you know i never started something on my own you know maybe harshil has made more money than me maybe uh, he has a 500 people or no i have not done any but no but <laughs> it's an example it yeah. may not be harshil it may be uh, somebody else vijay shekhar sharma yeah could be vijay shekhar sharma and you can keep comparing yourself to them and you can feel bad the other way of thinking is every day you think that i am a little better than myself where i started from and where i have reached i have traversed a long journey during this journey i have affected lives i have built careers there are people who can turn around today and say that my career the at the right moment you know this man satyaki he gave me a nudge or he showed me the right path and today i'm successful each of those successes you should take as your positive your contribution to the society somebody's life some family became better uh, i think that drives me a lot uh, i think self esteem drives me a lot i don't want to be worse than yesterday yeah. in some way i want to be better than yesterday my business results my relationship with people my improvement areas which i have many uh i keep working on them 
is there some kind of practice that you undertake to evaluate this where you are at yesterday versus no, today? I think, uh, I think uh, when you work in a large organization, you have very good HR practices around you. Uh, you have a mid-year review and you have an end-year review. If you have a uh, good boss, then uh, the boss shows you your weaknesses. Uh, actually, a good boss always shows you your weaknesses. Uh, is a tough boss, but uh, shows you your weaknesses. And if you take it positively once again, and you want to be a little better than yesterday, then it works. I keep telling people that operate from your area of strength. Don't bother about your weaknesses. But your weaknesses, you have to work on. You have to become a little better than yesterday. Mm. You have to work on them. But always operate from your area of strength. Because that is what has made you. And that is what is going to take you forward. And if you keep covering your weaknesses, you become a better rounded person, better rounded professional, etc. So that what keeps me going. One is I'm very positive in what I think. I never compare myself against somebody else. I think I should be better than yesterday. And I work on self-esteem. And finally, I can tell you I've never chased money. Whatever little I have, you can say that you are CEO of an organization, you don't have money. No, I have a fair bit of money, but I have chased jobs, I have chased accomplishments, I have chased to be better than myself and money has come along the way. So uh, that's my philosophy. Okay. On that note, thank you for sharing, I think, a piece of yourself yeah. and I really enjoyed this conversation and thank you and I hope that I know you will keep growing and keep affecting lives and keep doing what you're doing. Thank you so much for Thank you, being on this first episode. It's thank be a you, Arshil. One. Uh, and I look forward to be here again. And thank you for inviting me. Thank you. Thank you.